New Zealand was really interesting because the country was a really nice wake-up call to me. So I fell in love with New Zealand. Um, and there are so many things I felt like that spoke to me. And one of the results of all of this at the end of it was like I felt belonging to a place for the first time where I was just sitting in Christchurch, New Zealand, looking out at downtown. I felt like I feel this like deep sense of I belong here. And this is like my place. This is the podcast Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Susie Pan. Susie was born in China, raised in Canada, and has moved and traveled for much of her young life. She has now worked in seven countries and visited over 40 for startups and large corporations. In 2020, after five years working in Toronto, Susie quit her job, packed her life into two backpacks, and bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand without much of a plan. After dealing with multiple family deaths, her goal was to have a year of deep rest, reflection, and exploration. During this time, she lived out of a van, worked on a farm, helped local businesses get online for COVID, and deeply reflected on what she wanted next in life and career. And she made a core shift in her life. Today, I get to talk to Susie about what changed that made a whole new relationship with herself and her work possible today. Um, I'm looking forward to this very much. I recently met uh, Susie during a CEO event. CEO is a radically generous community supporting women and non-binary people working on the world's to-do list, where Susie is currently the director of ventures and currently living in San Francisco. So welcome in Susie. Hello. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to start in right away that uh, around travel and your identity and um, how has travel and moving always been a part of your life? I'd love to just start there. Yeah, for sure. I think I had a really unique childhood where I was forced to move almost every two years after I turned seven. So like you mentioned in the intro, I was born in China. Um, actually did kindergarten in Thailand, which is where my parents went to um, their master's uh, program and then immigrated to Canada, lived in the United States in Kansas um, out of all places and then moved like four different places in Canada uh, while growing up in school. And before high school, I never got to stay in the same school for over two years. So it made me extremely adaptable not necessarily by choice as a child, but it became a really core part of my identity as I grew up and loved traveling and exploring new things. Um, and also now reflecting back on my childhood, realizing the great things I came with always moving, which is this adaptability and ability to change and really um, learning how to set myself up in wherever I go. I always say you can drop me anywhere in the world and I'll figure it out. Um, but also some of the hardships that comes with traveling a lot, which is hard to lay down roads and hard to make friends um, and hard to have a an edu follow one education system. So I think those parts of my childhood has definitely influenced 
what I do as um, as a career, but also how I'm choosing to live my life in the um, digital nomad world and have transitioning that into also really wanting to lay down roots after a long time. Is is that where you are right now when you speak about wanting to lay roots down or? Yes. My goal for 2000, uh, 2022 is to not move countries. Um, and having been on uh, quite a journey in the last few years, I really miss having a home, a community, um, and just a place where I know where I'm going to be for the next while. Um, debatable how long, but at least for the next while, having that certainty of being in the same place is something I'm looking forward to. Beautiful. Well, we're going to, we're going to take a back step because, you know, I work with people helping them make these core shifts in their lives. And I love talking with people to hear how some of these shifts have happened for them. And for you, I know you took this trip in New Zealand. I wonder if we can go back there. How long has it been since you've been back from New Zealand? I left New Zealand in August, 2021 um, to come back to North America. So it's been over half a year, which, wow, I actually did not realize that. Um, yeah, it's been about eight months now. So not that long, really, but still almost eight months. Still so very long. <laughs> who, who were you? What, what, and how big of a deal? How, how, what made the New Zealand experience different from your other travels? How was it that you're going to New Zealand was something other than what you'd done before? Yeah, so it wasn't really traveling and it wasn't really, um, uh, it was very unexpected in many ways. So maybe just to give some context on the move as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said in the intro, I've lived in Toronto and worked in Toronto about, for about five years. And I've been wanting to move five years. It was a really long time in my lifetime line and never stayed in a place for that long and been wanting to move for quite a while. Um I was about to move about two years into New Zealand when I met my then boyfriend and my fiance. Um, so did I actually get to move? And when we were talking about both like wanting to move, there's uh, a bit of logistics when it's two people. So when we finally made, made that choice after lots of life events that were happening in um, uh, 2018, 2019, we both wanted to go on a world tour um, and take a bit of a break. So for me, that was a, a sabbatical, a break, and just a deep year of rest. Um, and New Zealand was supposed to be the first stop of a world tour. And this was the end of 2019. So given 2020, it was um, unexpected that I stayed in New Zealand for, for about two years. And so be, what, be, what was first traveling became an actual move where we settled in, signed a lease, bought some furniture, made friends, and... Um, that was not necessarily part of the uh, expectation when I went on that trip. So it was less traveling, I would say. We did a bit of traveling in the beginning, but it was like basically a move to the farthest place away from home. Well, and when you went there, it was to begin, let me just get that clear, to begin really a world tour, it really was a sabbatical and you wanted to rest and yes. pitch. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, it was definitely meant to be more of uh, I, we had a whole plan of going from New Zealand to Australia to Bali and Southeast Asia to China and Japan that was like the world tour plan that we had in mind um, and of course 2020 didn't let that happen absolutely well what what where were you who were you as a person at that point what and and how big of a job are you leaving was it a big deal to take this time off so all of my friends and my family 
thought this is like a hard, like a really big decision, a really big risk. And in, in many cases, it was. I was been at the Royal Bank of Canada for over three years, and actually at that point, I just launched a new product, a new line of business uh, at my job that was starting to gain traction and success. When I decided to make the move, um, and it's, I knew it was something I always wanted to do, uh, and to me, leaving and moving is actually not outside my comfort zone. Staying put is actually outside my comfort zone. So to me, it didn't seem that big of a deal because I've done it so many times before. But thinking about it now, it was like a pretty significant. Um, it's a, it was a pretty significant move because we basically packed our life into just one backpack without any plan. And it was the fact that was a, there was no plan. I think that scared a lot of people. Um, but for me, it just felt so easy and natural when I made the decision. But so you uh, were working so. at that point at the Roy. You're saying with the Royal Bank of Canada. Yes. And you had a new pro. You had a product that you had launched or were launching. Yes. What was that? Yes. Yeah, it was the product called Just Live, which was an app that we were building for students who live with housemates to help split expenses and chores to teach them financial literacy. And this was a new initiative, a new product line um, that was part of the the bank's uh, venture department. Oh, and you you were the one who came up with the product. Yes, I, I was the founder, the entrepreneur residence, and the product lead. Um, it was my idea, and we just launched it. When and I, like, what was that like to say, and now I'm, now I'm going on the road. What was that? Was that like, okay, I'm done. Or was that, I'm going to keep working on the road? No, it was, I'm done. I was quitting everything. Um, when Got I really okay. fully leave. Wow. And where, where were you personally? Like, were you pretty happy, but this desire to leave? What, what was, what was motivating, motivating that for you and your boyfriend, but mainly for you? What, what was the, the force there? Yeah. The it energy? Was, yeah. It was definitely running away when I look at it. Um, I didn't know if I admitted that to myself. I think that at that time it was just taking a break. So um, that was 2019, 2018. Uh, my boyfriend's uh, nephew, who was four years old at the time, died of brain cancer. Uh, two weeks later, my grandma passed away. Um, and then two weeks, uh, two months later, one of my really close family friends passed away. And this was all within like a three month period at the beginning of that year. Um, so it was a really, really hard time personally. And it felt like I never had the time to properly process what was happening because work demanded my attention, family demanded attention, everybody needed my attention. I didn't have the time and space for myself. Um, so when people say, why New Zealand? I, I was literally running away from the farthest to the farthest place of uh, on earth that I could get to, to put space between everything that was happening in my life and just myself. So it really was a call for space. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Were you a seeker, like a bit of a spiritual seeker at that point, or was it pretty pragmatic? I need space or just, I need to unpack stuff. I need to catch my breath. I need to I would say mostly pragmatic. And I've done this before when I was on exchange and I was in Paris when all my classmates were in uh, Canada. And it was really helpful without the social influence of who my reputation, of my community, of my friends, and just like really that physical space, geographic separation, but also like a, a very different connection to the community. Um, so I was kind of looking for that again and to put physical space between me and everything that was happening, um, like almost like a, having a new life and having a bit of a fresh start to process what happened in my life. Um, 
yeah, so a lot of that was a, a, a physical space separation. I get it. So what I hear is freedom from, that's how I identify that in my mind. Does that speak to you yeah. like freedom from? Yeah. And then there's yes. also this freedom to, right? And how do we go? How do we bring freedom into? But still, I, I, I value this, this, yeah, the need, the need to get away, right? To, to, to pragmatically have the space. But tell us what happened in New Zealand, because it sounds like it went beyond the pragmatic. It sounds like it got into all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah, New Zealand was really interesting because the country was a really nice wake-up call to me. So I fell in love with New Zealand. Um, and there are so many things I felt like that spoke to me. And one of the results of all of this at the end of it was like I felt belonging to a place for the first time where I was just sitting in Christchurch, New Zealand, looking out at downtown and be like, I feel this like deep sense of I belong here. And this is like my place. Um, and what helped get to that, there wasn't any, I would say, specific moments. I think it's a collection of different experiences. One was not having work and not having anything to do. Um, freed up my mind to just wander and be. So you really had that time space. off work. You really did. Yeah. Great. I did not. I uh, used to tell people the first few months in New Zealand was actively learning how to be unproductive. It's really hard. Um, being like a very type A person and other people take sabbaticals, start companies, learn languages, try new skills. I was just trying very hard to not do and plan and, um, and not be productive. So really just let myself be, explore in the present. Um, so that space also helped too. Because New Zealand was so isolating and far from everything, um, that isolation brought up a lot of different feelings and priorities and understanding of how much I needed people and what I needed people and community for and how lonely and isolating it felt to be in a foreign country, especially when COVID was starting to happen. Um, and then three was just trying a bunch of random experiences like living in a van. It's not as glorious as people make it on Instagram, uh, like working at a farm and having like appreciating working with my hands, but also really appreciating how easy office jobs are afterwards. And all the things I wanted to try, but daily life really gets in the way sometimes. Um, and New Zealand afforded me the space and the permission to do all of that. Okay, you have and, to tell me about the living in the van. I just, I'm kind of here with them. Yeah, I hear you saying it's not as glorious as what we're all seeing on Instagram. So yes. what, what, what was your, what's your tale of that? What's your tale? Yeah, so we bought a van that we were looking to use for about four or five months, ended up using it for a lot longer and probably should have been more careful buying this van. Um, and it's actually a minivan. So when people think about van life, it's not an RV, it's not a big car. It's a minivan that you can't even stand in. Uh -huh. And um, it acted out as our home, um, as our bed, as our kitchen. There's no bathroom or toilet in this van. So that was a very programmatic thing. There's no fridge either. So just learning the logistics of how to live in a van was a learning experience um, and, and definitely an experience. Um, and then the van also carried everything we owned in our entire lives for two, almost two years. We were in New Zealand. Um, we didn't always live in the van. We definitely stayed in Airbnbs and we settled down, but between places we traveled to, we could sleep in a van. And the longest I think we stayed in the van continuously was about 20 days. Um, yes, uh, the, it's not glorious because there's no bathroom. 
um, you, like you wake up not knowing where you can find a clean toilet. Um, you get very good at prepping meals and understanding what you can cook uh, outside or not. But it was also the freedom to park wherever at night and you don't really have to have a destination in mind. Um, and that was really free. And we got to see some amazing places like that. Hmm. And you were with your, your boyfriend. Yes. So this was yes. a whole thing. So living in the van and then, and so you did do Airbnbs, you did, um, you did settle into a place for a while. Um, yep. and what, who were you meeting? What was happening to you as you were, yeah, in you're actually in New Zealand and you were able to go on the kind of a visa for that long? Yeah, being Canadian, really lucky, was able to have a working holiday visa for the first year and also was able to get extension on the second year, especially during COVID. Um, You're so saying that is that, very, that's from being from Asia, you said? Being Canadian. As being from Canada, you could have a year yes. to start. Yeah, you could have a year to start. I could have 23 months as a Canadian and British, I think. Um, God, so, I didn't know that. Got it. All right. So you you had the visa and um, yeah, what was it yeah. like? Yeah. We, I did not know a single person when we went to New Zealand. Um, and the first person I met, um, actually everybody I met was through CEO. Um, and I've always known, I've always been involved in CEO, but really actually took the chance when I went to New Zealand to really get re-involved and re-emerged in the community. Um, and the first person I met in New Zealand was Teresa Gunting, who is the head of CEO New Zealand, um, who was also a really like great entrepreneur that I didn't know anything about when I first went um, and got to uh, got to see kind of the lay of the land of where the Shio ventures are, who the Shio activators are. And basically everywhere I traveled, I got a list of Shio activators. And it was amazing because it wasn't just meeting people in a new country, but it was meeting radically generous women in a new country who were there to host me, cook for me, let me show me around and um, really got to experience Kiwi hospitality. Uh, through the Shio network, I also volunteer a lot of my marketing skills and my product skills around some of the, the Shio ventures, which I always said that I use my skills to make friends in New Zealand uh, because it was an excuse to really get to know the local community, the business community, the entrepreneurs, and work with amazing founders. And I had such a fulfilling experience really traveling the country through with Shio. Um, I think it's partially how I ended up here in my role today. Wow, wait, what what was your involvement with CEO then? Were you an activator? I was just, yeah, I was just an activator that was not too involved. Before Which meant you, you supported, you were one of the, like the, you yes. know, I activate where we support the community, we pay something monthly and we get to be, you know, be part of this really radically generous community as you're speaking. So, wow, I didn't yes. know that. So CEO was an active part of your connection, oh. uh, meeting people and giving- was the main part- of my really? the time, I would say the main part of my time in New Zealand, uh, all the people I met and all the main stories I got, I would say the majority of that is because of CEO and CEO led activators who, who led me to the community. Um, I would re I remember when I first traveled every city, I would find the list of activators and getting in touch with activators are always kind of the first people I meet where when I went to New City. Wow, what 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 were some of the things you were able to help people with in terms of the ventures yeah. as your business skills? I I got to work with all the almost all of the New Zealand ventures as I was traveling around the country and help everything with marketing design, with um, website conversion, with e-commerce. During COVID, 
was really helping uh, ventures get back online and making sure they had the right e-commerce platform, specifically the Chia Sisters, uh, which was a drinks company based in Nelson, and got a lot of Chia uh, drinks because of it, got to visit their farms, and um, basically just got to meet a lot of amazing entrepreneurs by offering marketing sure. and website and th- help. And that business is called the Chia Sisters? Yes. Wow. Okay, we're going to have to look at that. So, so what is the change that happened in New Zealand in terms of uh, you've been there, you've been doing this, it got extended, um, COVID came, kind of changed the, the face of the earth for travel and for all of us. Um, I guess maybe yeah. first I should ask, was there any, did you, was there a big challenge? Did it, did you ever have, uh, you know, the, the crisis moment in your trip or was it pretty much this adventure you're speaking to? Oh, I had some of the worst times in my life <laughs> in New Zealand as well. My mo- my biggest downs and my biggest ups. Um, so definitely, um, I would say some of the hardest parts were like just being away from everybody you knew. And while I was processing death and family and life and all that and having no friends. Because um, you, you can meet, I think I met a great acquaintances and I met great people, but it was really hard to make friends when like I said, you aren't, we were on the move all the time. Um, two, it was a really big challenge for my partner and I, because we didn't have a door separating us for nine months. Um, and we, had, we didn't know any other pe- person except each other in this new country. So I think we fed off each other's energy, both positive and negative, and there was nowhere to get away to or from each other because we were in this new country together. Um, and during COVID, there was so much uncertainty around, can we go home? When are we staying here? Is our visa going to be approved? And I remember when COVID first started, that our, when our Airbnb host canceled on us, like four days before the lockdown, we were literally homeless because there's nowhere we can go back to. When you have a home or family or friends, there's always somewhere you can stay. But when you're in a new country by yourself, you have no like, safety net. Um, and all of that was like, extremely scary and and um, anxiety inducing uh, was all the uncertainty that was happening. So definitely had some of the hardest times in my life in uh, New Zealand as well. And and when it was time to come back, how, what was that like? I mean, was that just, okay, we're, I, I'd love to know what, you know, what did you, what do you notice now? Like, yeah. So when you were coming back, what happened? How did you decide to leave? I really weren't sure. I wasn't sure if we wanted to leave for the longest time because I said I fell in love with the country. And I think some of the things, like in terms of meeting people, that had taught me is really reshifting my priorities around what is important. Um, Kiwis are amazing at reminding, I think at least me, how to live life uh, with, like how to really enjoy your life. So I always say that. I remember examples where people have go surfing during lunchtime when people want to shift meetings because the waves are nice or because they want to go fishing and um, and was a really able to have a great career and a great life was able to um, know pe- like the local community so well that you are really like feeling connected to the food you have to the people around you to the nature and land around you and it was just so refreshing to not be in a career hustle driven culture that I was brought up in um, and really appreciating and really for me to reexamine like what is important to me and why these values existed or didn't exist. So when I was in New Zealand, I like absolutely fell in love and always had the thought of 
should, should we leave? Should we just stay here? Because I loved it so much. Um, and in the time when we actually decided to leave was when I did have a job offer to go, a full-time job offer to stay in New Zealand or move to Australia. And that I had about 48 hours to decide if I wanted that job offer. And my partner and I talked it through in a sense that I think right now at our point in our life, we wanted to go back to optimizing for our career. Um, and New Zealand wasn't the place yet for us to do that. And it was probably back in North America. And we took out a world map and looked at all the places in the world that spoke English and had career opportunities um, and settled settled to move to San Francisco, which is how and why we're here now. Well, so you really, you came into this, um, would you call it almost joie de vivre, this how to, how to enjoy your life um, values and cultures in the Kiwis. I mean, you, you really saw a substantial, you got a substantial shift in the role of work so and play. Yeah. So, so much. And not just the, like, just like value wise, I think Kiwis taught me how to like, one, like live off your land and actually be able to identify all the food you eat. Um, one of the very identify, what did you just say? Identify all the food you eat? Identify where all your food that you eat comes from oh, and wow. identify with them. Um, so I remember going to someone's house and they can be like, this is where the chicken's from. This is where the egg is from. This is where the salmon's from. This is where the potato, this is the cow that gave us ice cream for this dairy. And this is the person who cut the potato chips to, to have this. So really like feeling connected to the land and your and, and who you who, like what you consume and like local purchasing farmers market a really big deal i learned i think we have this um in north america of more like oh we should be green or buy local it, to me almost sounds more like marketing whereas in new zealand it's more the way of life um people compost people forget have reusable bags there's no plastic um in so many places not because it's like the green thing to do. And that's because they live like off the land. And it's just like one of the values that's been really installed. Um, so I learned a lot about that uh, around like how to eat with the seasons, how to like plant your own food and make sure like everything we have is local, it's supply chain. And I think that also really informs some of my work today at GEO, but it was just the learning how natural it is that Kiwis were doing that. Well, do you, do you, did you sense that it had been that way for years and years? This, yes. I love that distinction between it not being quote unquote green, or it sounds like it's not about being politically correct. It no. doesn't feel like marketing that to you is that no. when I hear that, I, I hear it doesn't mean like, oh, I'm a good person because I am doing this. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. What, what was that instead? What was the feel? It feels this is like our land and we need to take care of it. And we huh. need to know where things yeah. are coming from. And one of the examples, one of the experiences that was also quite transformational was also a CEO venture is Goodbye. Um, Becky Cashman, who I met as a CEO activator. Becky Cashman, uh, okay. Uh, on some of uh, like these calls, I went to visit her house. And I remember asked, she asked me what I wanted to drink. And I said, sure, like orange juice. And she gave me oranges, not the juice, but like actual oranges. And I was like, huh like oranges come from oranges like yeah and these oranges were from her tree and her orchid um I also remember when I was at her house eating a stew and then going out to her farm and she was telling me like this is the calf of the cow that you ate yesterday I've never been able to identify with the meat that I eat and know their family um and it was just very like a surreal experience of how 
natural and close they are with their food and the ecosystem and supply. And she was making all these amazing products in her living room and got to see her kids um, enjoy making her products. And now when I think about buying these products, it's not selling to a soulless corporation. It's like, it's really giving money to her and her kids um, so they can have a great education. And to me, that shifts the whole meaning of buying and purchasing and money and, uh, and commerce, really. So all these amazing experiences came from the time in New Zealand. And I think this is very common versus here. It's actually very hard to see generally. It's hard to see what? It's hard to see the direct impact of every purchase you're making yeah, and the direct right? impact of everything you're eating. How about how money? How, how much is money a motivator in New Zealand for work? Yeah, I found this also really interesting that like people, and this is probably a generalization, is that are not pretentious and don't show wealth in any way that I find, I found New Zealand a pretty expensive country uh, to live in cost-wise. And I also found wages to be generally lower than North America. And people were spending money like at local cafes eating, not because it's cheap or expensive, but because the relationships that they have with the staff and the fact that you're kind of giving money to your neighbor and it's being recycled into the farmer's market. And that regenerative nature of it was really interesting. So money was less about an end goal, but it was an enabler and like it spoke to kind of the power to influence you have over your, your, your resources. Um, so I don't think, and this is a generalization, that money is a main motivator for people, but money used as a way to um, create impact and uh, recycle through the community. I get it. So how do, how do people work it if the wages are kind of low and it's kind of expensive to live there? Yeah, I have that question too. And that's like one of our questions um, when we think about moving back to New Zealand um, in our uh, long-term plan, which is the plan. Um, and I think it's when you have, it's the definition of enough. Um, so when you think that you have enough and that you can sustain the lifestyle that you want, you actually... And I think everybody has a different understanding of what enough means. Yeah, actually, I think you can make enough money in uh, New Zealand. It doesn't mean that you make the same as the Bay Area. Definitely not. But I do think there is more than enough and people are happy. And also there are times where definitely people are not happy. And I think there's definitely economic situations there too. But I think in the, as a general statement that it's possible, at least for me and my partner, to make enough to have a good life in New Zealand that might not look the same as if we were living in North America. I get it. So what, what's it like now for you to be here after having that kind of that value experience, that cultural experience um, with what you just spoke to? What was it? What's it like to be in San Francisco? Who are you? What are you finding out about yourself now that's different, that doesn't fit in or fits in differently? Yeah. I notice myself comparing everything to New Zealand a lot. I notice my friends saying we should I should stop comparing things to New Zealand because we're not there. Um, so I you compare, that, you're comparing to New Zealand, yep. Yes, because I always hold New Zealand to such a high praise. And I'm like, this is like this in New Zealand. And I'm like, we're not in New Zealand. I get it. Um, and I also noticed I, I, I'm back to my pre-New Zealand self, whether for better or for worse, um, in the sense that there's a lot of scheduling that happens here. You get on people's calendars that like my days feel, my days and weeks feel very scheduled. Whereas in New Zealand, nobody uses calendar invites for anything. Um, it's a lot more free flowing. Uh, I feel like there's, especially in San Francisco, it's the middle of hustle culture. 
and everyone around you is hustling and work is such an important part of people's identity. Whenever I go to an event, people always ask me, what do you do? Whereas in New Zealand, nobody ever asked that question uh, when I, almost the whole time I was there. Um, so I felt like I think readjusting to the cultural norms of North America and taking and really regrounding myself with all of the things I learned from New Zealand with my partner um, to not forget it, but also to take the best parts of being in the heart of innovation, just not to get sucked in to the, what I call the game. I get it. Um, I remember when we first talked, you said something and I wrote it down and I'm just going to put it out there now. You said um, it came to you a place of being true to who you are versus being in a place of needing to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. How does that, does that ring true still? Yeah, I think I spent about almost a year trying to figure out what I want to do next. And I thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, this was the right time. I was like an early employee and I joined this like fellowship for found, uh, uh, potential founders. And I was going through the process and I realized I'm really, it's a really bad time for being an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is really hard and I need benefits and a salary and all these other things. And and then when I decided, when I decided that, I was like, I don't know what I want to do next because being an entrepreneur has been such a huge part of my identity. And I had to really deconstruct what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to be tied to my identity uh, and really what I call like an ego deconstruction period of what are, instead of using labels, but what are the adjectives that I want to use to describe myself and what kind of problems do I really want to solve? So and wait, as, as was, opposed to using labels, I, I just want to underline that. Uh, looking mm-hmm. for that, would you say adjectives? Adjectives. Um, so for example, uh, being an entrepreneur was a label I assigned myself. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? Um, to me, it means like solve, solving problems, um, starting like uh, initiatives, uh, taking initiatives, like being a change maker, being innovation and all of that. Can I can do all of that without being an entrepreneur. Like if I take apart the character, if I take apart the word and look at underlying what is it that I really want to do, I want to find ways to still do that without necessarily the label of it. I get it. Now, were you doing that? You said you spent almost a year doing that. Were you in uh, New Zealand at that time? Was that yes. like looking to how to transition from there? Yes. Ah. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What? What? Where's the freedom in that? Where's the freedom too? Because that's what I'm hearing in a way. You're saying, wait a minute. Now, what do we do from here? We've had this experience, kind of a new way to, well, first yeah. off, I hear a new way to approach enough, a new way to approach enjoying life in, in relationship to work. And now we're going back to North uh, North America because you, you kind of want some of these things and looking at entrepreneur. So how would you fill us in there? Yeah, it was a really hard process. And I actually think one of the things that was hard was having too much freedom because I gave myself like, now I can do anything in the world and live anywhere in the world. Where do I go? And I think got paralyzed by feeling the need to make the right choice. Um, and I had a big deconstruction of what it means to make the right choice as well. And I think where I landed after that is just making a, a choice and making the right one afterwards versus having to predetermine whatever that right choice was. Um, but one of my learning was giving myself too much freedom, giving me way too much stress. So um, limiting and understanding, like not every choice has to be right or wrong. Understanding that like all decisions are like, you can always go back on decisions, you can always try things and kind of approaching as 
what do I want to try in the next year or two versus what do I want to do the rest of my life, which is a really hard question. Um, so that reframing really helped as well. And yeah, when I came back here, I think uh, well, actually when, when I was in, in New Zealand, I was like trying to figure out what to do next. I really like wanted to dig into this whole world of alternative venture capital. Um, alternative venture where, capital. Okay. Yeah. Not knowing where that would lead me and what that meant at the time, but just doing a really big deep dive into this world of what if people don't raise venture capital, what else can they do and what that means in many possible ways. And what does that have to do with where you are now? Even just the venture and, capital bit. Yeah. Yeah. It led me to CEO. I think that's how it led me to CEO and led me to my current job. Um, and I've been taking inspiration from everything I've learned in CEO because of the, it's a different approach to um, fundraising and capital. And having I was sharing some of my insights with Vicky Saunders, who's the uh, founder of CEO, and we just had some of these conversations around innovative finance that I was following. And I think that's also what led to my current job. And it's actually what I get to do in my current job is looking at alternative ways to fund our entrepreneurs. Wow. So I'm hearing, so that this is, I mean, I know CEO is being a real paradigm shift. It's not doing business as usual. So do you feel like you were pretty primed in New Zealand not to do things? I mean, that's what I hear. It's certainly not usual here. You were looking to really also work in a way that wasn't usual. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I think the thing is in New Zealand, it's usual, but in North America, it's not usual. So yeah. the, the, the norm, normalcy is also, I think, very relative. Um, but I think she was like such a perfect fit that it was exactly what I needed when I needed it and everything like I believed in. Um, and I felt very, I feel very, very lucky to have landed here, especially after this whole exploration and having gotten involved with Shio in New Zealand. I think like all roads led to where I am now. So who do you get to be now? You've got this job in CEO that's a different way of working. Um, certainly you're speaking even about how to raise capital or her, how, or the role of capital, uh, uh, you know, what that's even about, but yeah. Who are you now? I am Susie and that's it. <laughs> um, again, not trying to attach labels um, and practicing one of the CEO value of emergence, seeing what comes versus always needing to know, which is a really hard thing for me as well. And I think one of the um, themes here is actually really wanting to help entrepreneurs and solve like these big problems. And there's different ways to do that. And I think that's what I want to dedicate the next chapter of my life to is really about helping entrepreneurs who are what I call non-traditional. Um, how do we help all of the entrepreneurs who need uh, funding, but don't not even funding, who need help and solving really big, messy problems, but don't fit under the traditional modes of what our system is designed for right now. Beautiful. And what, what's that? Um, what's your sense of um, expanse? Like, do you feel like you have more room to breathe still? I mean, what's your, what's that? How are you occupying this place? This, this kind of, you've just been back eight, nine months, eight months. Um, you've got this job that's in alignment in terms of, I love it. I wrote it down actually seeing what comes versus needing to know. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing what comes, so, how, yeah. How does, how do you confront that in, on a daily level or a monthly level, whatever, seeing what comes versus needing to know? Um, it's really hard. I was first say, because I am a planner and I like to know what's happening in my life. I've already like thought about the next five years. 
uh, of like wanting to be here for a few years and then wanting to move back to New Zealand and then wanting to like come back to North America when we have like kids in elementary school and like thought I had my life plan, but really knowing that like you can set intentions, not necessarily plans. So that's just how kind of I look at even goals these days is setting the intention of knowing what I want, but okay if it doesn't work out exactly the way I want it to. Um, or in a way that I think it, it, it can, it, it's going to turn out. Uh, so then setting the intention around like uh, the, the, the impact that I want to create with founders, um, the type of career that I want, uh, my wedding is this year as well, preparing for that and whatever that means. Um, and also setting the intention of we want to return back to New Zealand at some point in our life. So what about the submerging when you're in your work day, how did, how do you, how does your perfectionism try to sneak in or you're wanting all the ducks to be in a row and to be able to tie things up in ways that you can't with CEO, if you're in this kind of alternative space of looking mm-hmm. at how, how we do business, how you could support these ventures. I would say it's really challenging for someone like me who is very like my entire job before was project management and trying to make sure everything happens exactly the way it needs to. Yeah. I think it's creating space for what is emerging, which like trusting and listening to the community, to our ventures. Um, but also I think for me, it's like, it's a part of like a cultural ad and how do I bring my strength of my curiosity um, of my like inquisitiveness uh, in a way that like creates space for not having to know the answer, but asking the question and seeing what shows up when I ask the question. Um, and just like sometimes be like, it's okay, we don't know. And like just really accepting that as well. And actually the team highly encourages that. So that's helpful too. Um, but having intentions of like, this is the plan, this is what we think, but let's try it out and see what happens. Uh, that's pretty beautiful. So that's that's a pretty big shift, given you said you're a type A person a minute ago. Yes. And yes. right. And this is uh, all things emerging. Uh, what about the I don't know? What about the um, what you just said about being in curiosity? Yes. And what so yes. far for your spirit or for your sense of well-being, how does this curiosity, how is this medicine for you? I would always have said that curiosity is like one of my biggest superpowers because I love asking questions. I ask a ton of questions. What's hard is not get, getting answers to all the questions I ask and being okay with that. Um, and yeah, I, I think the way it shows up is just right giving myself space. I think that's also really, really big learning, whether that's space in my calendar, space in time, space to just breathe and space to see what emerges versus like scheduling every minute of my life and like making sure everything happens the way I want it to happen. Um, and like by showing up, like I took a first, I took my first vacation last week to like really reflect on the last three months to figure out what's next and learning that I have to really process the past to be able to plan for the future. But then having that space and time to process and plan is um, a really important part of my cycle. So again, you know, leading into New Zealand, this need for space on a really pragmatic, and now I hear you weaving that into your current life, like saying, wait, I, I need these these smaller versions of space here as well. It's been three months. I, I need that to be able to function the way I want. So yeah, yes. that's a that's a different, that's a renewed relationship to self. But, and, and can you just, what's your sense of um, how we're kind of coming to completion, but I'd, I'd love to hear 
how the values of that you're living with in New Zealand, how this connects with what how you're doing work differently at Sheetyo, what that kind of big approach to how what's maybe possible in business that isn't really mainstream yet at this point here in this country or this continent. Yeah. I think that's uh, like one of the things that U.S. and venture capital and like North America is it's all about scale and growth. And it's all, wait, it's two, all about scale, you said? Scale, scaling and growth. Scaling uh, and growth. Yeah. That's all. That's like the goal. When you start a company, when you start a startup, it always asks you, what's your growth? How are you going to scale? In New Zealand, we don't ask that question because a lot of companies don't want to scale. And when they say local, they don't even mean New Zealand local. They mean like the province or the city logo and they just want to be there and i think in the north american hat that i was wearing there's like a judgment that like small like why don't you do more why don't you sell more why don't you grow but that's not necessarily good or right um and i think that's something that she has taught me it's on your own terms success on your own term doesn't mean you grow success on your own term doesn't mean you have to sell internationally or anything success on your own terms is what works for you and that's something that we are very, very cautious of when we work with entrepreneurs that we, is that we don't tell you what's right or what your goals are need to be. We help you get to where you want to be. And if you want to be a lifestyle business, that's great. If you want to just have enough money to pay for your health, that's amazing. And we have no judgment of if that's right or wrong or good or bad. We help you get to where you want to be on your own terms. Wow. Beautiful. What, and Susie, as we close here, what, What's your, if you'd say prayer, doesn't have to be religious, but your ask, what do you, what is your big hope inside that for you personally, that um, how you might continue to, to shift and grow here or to evolve? I tell myself whenever things get hard, that things will be okay. That there's no right, there's, and whenever I face a hard choice of if I'm doing the right thing or what, what I should be doing, I tell myself that there's no right or wrong. Life can take many paths, and not one is not, one may or may not be better than the other. And you never know when we don't live in parallel universes. So, just make a choice, and that will be the right choice. Thank you, Susie, for spending this time with me. Um, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Julie. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my Creativity and Spirit online retreats. Experience for yourself the breakthroughs and support available when you engage your creative self in a safe and playful community. Begin here if you are ready to ignite your own transformational journey in a joyful way. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching offerings on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.